0: Oh ho ho, ho ho two wizards.
1: So you were showing me that um regular show X Dragon Ball Z. Oh
2: yeah. Oh god. Yeah, so
1: good. And I've <laughs> waited for two days to say this. Do you know who else needs a
2: sensu bean? <laughs> My mom! <laughs> you know who else gives you a wish when you gather her her balls? <laughs>
1: was absorbed by the village elder
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh man see yeah
2: that's just like like conan all of the things regular show all of the things um because we're entering the holidays and everyone's watching muppet christmas carol Mm -hmm. uh, i saw yet another round of hey what would the iliad and the odyssey be with the muppets and like that discourse kind of kind of piling up again. And I think I think that's the mark of a good show where it's like the characters are so clearly defined uh, that yeah, they, they they sort of fall into these start these these stock characters or, or these archetypes where you can yeah, very easily do something like the Muppet Christmas Carol, but then like Muppet Treasure Island, uh, Muppet Odyssey, regular show Dragon Ball Z, Conan whatever whatever um and so so yeah like i I just appreciate that like even fairly recent cartoons books movies whatever you could they 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 still follow into those patterns of like deeply ingrained storytelling so that we can make muscle man (laughs) (laughs) muscle man master roshi i guess jokes i don't know if that would be or like would i don't know it's so it's so good
1: (laughs) Muscle Man Yajirobe, yeah.
2: Muscle Man Yajirobe. Oh, that's perfect.
0: <laughs> 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 you know what oh, else boy. is
1: a clashing of genres and content mm. and ideas mm. coming together and distilling into a one weird single crystallized Dragon Ball of awesome
2: Josh? <laughs> what would that be, Mark? my mom no the two wizards podcast (laughs) the two wizards podcast yes that is us that is you joining us uh here again uh yes welcome to the two wizards podcast my name is josh and i am a wizard
1: and my name is mark and i am a wizard and yes welcome back guys josh it's the most wonderful time of the year buddy
2: ah truly it is truly it is
1: yeah it is tis the season to be jolly and joyous you know, um, we talk about it every time this time of year rolls around and, um, I got something special for the listeners this week, but before we get into that, what do you have in your, uh, wizard's mug?
2: Oh yeah. Well, I, I kind of went back and forth if I, you know, wanted to find like another kind of Christmas beer or something like that. We just, we just haven't quite gone shopping yet. Uh, mm-hmm. but we did, we did order in some Mexican food from a local chain, El Vaquero. Uh, and so what better to pair with mexican food than what i'm drinking right now uh just some corona oh
0: nice okay yeah
2: okay yeah yeah. so i, I guess also right? we can say yeah i guess we can also say feliz navidad <laughs> yeah yes we can uh how about you buddy what's what's in your wizard's mug
1: well, I was in Albuquerque this weekend, and they have these really cool stores called Trader Joe's. I'm sure, living in a metropolis, you're sick of them. <laughs> but <laughs> not only did I get twenty dollars worth of chocolate covered pretzels, and now ninety percent of them are gone, and I have a Ooh, problem. Baby. But I also got I also got at a Joseph Brow Brewing Company in San Jose, California, their Winter Ride uh, Doppelbach. It's a seven point five Doppelbach lager Ooh, with baby. dark roasted Carolel Munchin malts. And then I also have. Where are you from? Sorry, from the same one, the Joseph Brow, a uh, drive-through red, dry-hopped red ale.
2: Man, those so. both sound really good. I mean, a lot, yeah. a lot better than my wimpy little thing. But at any rate, cheers on you, buddy.
1: Cheers, good buddy.
2: Hmm.
1: That yeah. will play.
2: Is a roasty, caramelly, malty, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I'm, I mean I'm, I mean uh, Coronas a corona and y- y- you know this gets this is the accusation thrown against Corona but also a lot of like the Mexican lager kind of stuff and I I, 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 I can kind of tell it in this one too like yeah, yeah like like any sort of Mexican beer oftentimes it's it's described as you know being a little like smelly a little Funky, a little skunky. Maybe even a little a little ape. a little hairy. A little hairy. makes your My... mouth feel fuzzy. So maybe that has something to do with what we're talking about. Maybe just maybe. Maybe just maybe. So Mark, what are we what are we talking about? This has been something that that's been brewing for a long time. I'm very excited to to jump into it, and and I think you are as well. So, what is our topic today?
1: Uh, tonight we are discussing
2: Bigfoot, Josh. Oh man, so good, so yeah. good, and and it is just like, you know, over over three years, almost three and a half years now. I think Bigfoot has just been kind of like lurking just outside of the light of the campfire uh the 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 candlelight of our wizard's tower there's just been these bigfoot or a couple of big feet uh <laughs> just kind of like prowling around just waiting for its day to to come out in, in the sun or maybe not i guess we'll have to find out because that's yeah that's that's yeah. exactly what we're doing tonight uh.
1: <laughs> well you had mentioned it in forests and i've had sort of an outline written for bigfoot for a while now and i mm. was like you know what Screw it! You're gonna be down here. We're gonna. This is gonna be a multi-part episode. You're gonna be down here for the third and final part. Like it all just yeah. kind of came together. I thought there was no better time. So before we get going, um, I'm gonna cite my sources real quick. And this might be my sorriest source that I've ever sourced. And yes, I know I say that all the time, but this time mm-hmm. I really mean it. There is the Bigfoot book by Nick Redfern. Um, out of John Lemay, we get Cowboys vs. Saurians Ice Age and Cowboys vs. Saurians South of the Border and of the Old South. Strange creatures from beyond space and time by John Keel. Guide to North American monsters by W. Haddon Clark. Monsters and oddities, or monsters in print and oddities in print, by our good friend Adam Benedict. And still in the search of monsters by Dr. Carl Shuker. Um, and also, monsters among us: a journey to the, Unexpl- journey to the unexplained, strange and mysterious. Strange and mysterious: the Bermuda Triangle, snowmen, and sea monsters, UFO spacemen, and missing links by John Lee and Barbara Moore. <laughs> Um, all my research tonight comes from around or before 2005. A lot of it is old Bigfoot research, which I like better than people yeah. walking out into the woods and screaming, "Is there a Sasquatch in these woods? Yeah, come <laughs> fight me, you fucking pussy
2: Sasquatch!" Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: From a, I got choosy from, with my sources this week.
2: Well, yeah, it, and and it was it was it was from a purer time when Bigfoot hunting was was an amateur thing. Um and yeah, you get the dedicated, passionate people instead of oh hey the history channel is funding us for some reason. Um so Bobo get out there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it is it's, it's I'm from running up pure... in them woods and I'm gonna find me my squatch. Okay, Bobo, <laughs> go get go get that squash boy. Did <laughs> you just see ya, Bobo? <laughs> <laughs> woo Woo-hoo. <laughs> Woohoo! I'll be talk- Bobo talking to the squatch now. woo <laughs> Season nineteen of Finding Bigfoot. It, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, Josh, let's get really hacky here. Josh, what do you know about Bigfoot, and do you believe in Bigfoot, Josh?
2: Well, from what I know about Bigfoot, is is it's it's variously described as, yeah, either some like large, some large primate, um, maybe some sort of ape, um, or like hominid, even. Uh, to get a little more precise, that's. You know, fairly tall in excess of, I'd say like seven feet. I, I, I think seven feet's like the minimum to like qualify mm-hmm. as a Bigfoot. Um, yes, populates heavily forested areas, uh, is very secretive, will sometimes, maybe not directly attack or accost people in the forest, but yeah, if you're out hunting or if you're in a cabin, uh, kind of isolated and by yourself, Um, yeah, it's this thing that is kind of curious and wants to like learn as much about you and see what you are just as much as you want to learn about it. And then, yeah, maybe sometimes it'll do some frightening things like tear your campsite up or make a noise or like, you know, maybe throw a rock or a branch at you or something like that. Um, and then as far as myself personally, I have not had, I, I, I have not had any experiences when i've been camping uh that would directly lead me to believe that there's a bigfoot out there but but i also know that like it's less a colorado rocky mountain thing and it's much more like a pacific northwest um like that seems to be like the real hotbed of bigfoot a- activity but then again you know there's also some in like the appalachians and i i mean I, all of the other episodes that we've talked about and, and like, the little, like, regional Bigfoots um, mm-hmm. kind of around there. And I guess, mm-hmm. you, you know, I, I I know because we've talked about this, um, but also not to get too far ahead of our upcoming episodes, but I also know that Bigfoot is, like, specifically the North American variant. Because, uh, yeah, like, mm-hmm. Bigfoot, Sasquatch. Yes, there's also things like the Yeti and the Abominable Snowman and all these other, like, kind of different versions depending on your continent but yeah like bigfoot is american i guess i guess to say
1: (laughs) american american well you're right i mean there is a ton of variety um every culture has one Hmm. and as i was going through this trying to make like a cohesive script i realized that bigfoot isn't just one thing i'm pretty sure that there is a thing but that Hmm. thing is multiple things and by the end yeah. of this series, I hope that you and the listeners are going to be just as confused as I am, but with the understanding that there is something out there in the woods.
2: Yeah maybe like not to exactly put it into like taxonomical terms but but it's it's not like Bigfoot is a species but maybe like a genus or even like a family. you know we could go like one order up or, or or like a subfamily or something. So there's there is this thing and Bigfoot would be like a species of it. Um, But then, yeah, there's like, just like you're saying, this creature, this phenomenon spans the globe and cultures. So there's got to be something there, right?
1: Got to be. Yeah, of course. So we're going to start here, Josh, taking Oblivion Seeking Gulp, and we're going to start with uh, Bigfoot Part 1. A blast blast from from our our
0: past!
1: According to some anthropologists, it is thought that early humans still in our hunter-gatherer stage during the during the last Ice Age, or between 30,000 and 13,000 BCE, that number is being pushed back almost yearly at this point. It's, it's insane. Just our timeline reckoning of people keeps getting pushed back, and we've been around longer and longer, and God, I, I am here for it. It's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, These groups of people would come from what would become Mongolia by crossing the frozen Bering Strait from Russia into Alaska, Sarah Palin style. They then disseminated down across the Pacific Northwest and then into Canada and into America. Around 13.5 thousand years ago, the Clovis people established in New Mexico. They're like one of our oldest actual Mm -hmm. settlements. Yeah, yeah. By By 12,000 years ago, the Anasazi had established a Mesa Verde and, you know, flipped the bean making game on its head. Yep. Yep, and then by eight thousand years, um, tribes had covered the Americas from coast to coast. They were they were here. Um, it wasn't just humans though. Josh, a lot of stuff came over with us, including lions and giraffes, and maybe something else. Coming from the Indian subcontinent around two million years ago, there was a large ape called Gigantopithecus Blackie. This was the largest ape ever. It stood at ten feet tall and weighed about six hundred pounds.
2: Wow! Yeah, that's crazy. 10 feet tall, 600 pounds. That's phew, that's wild.
1: <laughs> but it can still go through the drive through at McDonald's. Yeah, <laughs> that is true.
2: <laughs> we are now fully entering college basketball season, and I'm here for it. Um, actually, the Ohio State Buckeyes men and women are like getting, getting off to some pretty solid starts. And every single time we, we someone talks about Bigfoot, I'm like, man, what would a team of... Get, what would a basketball team of Bigfoot be like? They'd be amazing. <laughs> They'd be so dominant.
0: <laughs> yeah, and especially if you have
2: an uh, an, an Australopithecus Blackie, was it? A uh, Gigantopithecus, yeah. Or, or, yeah that, that's, that's right, yeah. A Gigantopithecus, not an Australopithecus. That's caveman. But yeah, a Gigantopithecus Blackie-like. That dude's as tall as the rim. Um, weighs, like, twice as much as Shaq. Uh <laughs>
1: Yeah, I was going to say, he's 1.5 shacks tall and two shacks big,
2: or heavy. It's amazing. Like, yeah. Oh, it's, it's that'd be so incredibly awesome. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, now I just imagine Gigantopithecus Blackie as, like, the Harlem Globetrotters, and yeah, I hear that sweet exactly. Georgia Brown in my head as we see him, like, traveling around the southern hem of the, or rim of the Himalayas and then, like, through mainland China and finally getting, like, to the ancient Chinese rainforests. Rainforests? Where they flourish, Josh. <laughs> Gigantopithecus blacky, and I'm starting calling him G. Blacky because that's a lot to say every time. Yeah, sure, um, sure. Man, G. Blacky just exploded in the ancient rainforests
2: in China. Oh, man. Which, yeah, very very warm, very humid, uh, lots of natural fruit-producing trees there. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, early fossils from the re- these regions in China date as far back as 2 million years, which means that in... Less than So they left India 2 million years ago And got to China 2 million years ago They sprinted Across the continent
2: Yeah, jeez
1: And then they pushed Down south Into Vietnam Thailand And
2: Indonesia That's oh man. I just I just want I just want them. I just want one <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: A lot of the fossils We find Come from their jaws Which uh, When found by The early Chinese Were named Something called Dragon bone and an unknown multitude were ground down for a medicinal reagent. And according to the Institute for Traditional Medicine, dragon bone is sweet and balanced. It mainly treats heart and abdominal, demonic influx, spiritual miasma, and old ghosts. It also treats cough and counterflow of ki, diarrhea and dysentery with pus and blood, vaginal discharge, hardness and binding in the abdomen, and fright epilepsy in children. Holy cow! I mean, that's so. That's amazing. Yeah. Next time you're feeling shit, just do a you know, just do a line of G Blackie bone, and you're good to go.
2: <laughs> I well and we are entering like flu and cold season too, so I mean yeah. I I'm about to get on an airplane, so maybe instead of some Emergency or Airborne, I just need some of that sweet dragon bone.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this this tastes like shit. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> But my dysentery with pus and blood cleared right up. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't until an anthropologist named Rolf von Koningswald identified some of these teeth as ape teeth in 1932. And Mm. before then, we had no idea that G. Blackie was even a thing. We didn't know that this was a possibility. A 10-foot-tall monkey or ape just wasn't something we saw coming until this guy found and identified the teeth. Right, By the nineteen right. fifties, expeditions to sixteen sites in the Li chang region found multiple skulls, jaws, and over ten thousand teeth, <laughs> which is a lot of goddamn teeth. And that's then you think lot. about that's nineteen fifties. Like you think about how many they found before that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Oof. In nineteen. 19- Fifty-five. A Chinese paleontologist named Pei Wang Zhao intercepted forty-seven dragon teeth
2: shipments. That's shipments, Josh. <laughs> forty-seven. Oh my. Forty-seven. Yeah, and like, like crates. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god.
1: <laughs> I'm about to be a produce wizard again. I was just and one say crate like, of apples is forty pounds. Forty pounds a dead ape head. Like that's insane. That is. That's wild. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, These shipments of bones were tracked out of a region called called Guangxi, where they were being locally sourced in a large cave in the Nisui Mountain, which is now called Gigantopithecus Cave. Mm.
2: Fittingly enough, yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, Some of the fossils in there are dated as early as 10,000 years ago. So, Gigantopithecus blackie are flourishing in China the same time that, like the Greeks are still playing grab-ass, and the Egyptians think they're hot shit. Like... Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, yeah. it's it's insane to me. That is. From DNA sequenced against all the other great apes, we have found that Gigantopithecus blackie is a direct ancestor of the orangutan. Oh, okay.
0: So Which also makes sense, yeah. This,
1: yeah, this whole time, you can view them as, a, as just a big 10-foot-tall, 600-pound orangutan. Mm-hmm. It's also important to note that humans lived alongside Gigantopithecus, and neither posed a threat to each other. They just really didn't care. Yeah. Um, Given their mobile success, I think it would even be safe to say that, like, if, you know, humans are the ape bonobo type of monkey that, like, got their shit together, Gigantopithecus was orangutan's best hope at, like, getting a civilizing ape, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah. Uh Uh-huh.
1: Um, they didn't only go south, but they also might have gone north using the same Bering Land Bridge as humans. And here's where we get a tinfoil hat just a little bit, Josh. If you cross the southern Asian continent early and humans coexist along you peacefully, then it's fair to say that, like, you just brought them with you. Like, not together. It wasn't like, you know, tribes of early Mongolian humans coming to America were, like, holding hands with ten-foot-tall monkeys, but... They probably passed along the same routes and coexisted. Humans still coexist with populations of monkey today. Yeah, right, 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 right. By 10,000 years ago, humans had exploded, and here in our present aspect, but we changed a little bit, and so did Gigantopithecus, just maybe, maybe. And next week, we are going to focus on the great ape in North America theory, but real quick, I want to touch on some of the Gigantopithecus blacky descendants that stuck around in South Asia. Maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, totally ignoring Nepal, because you and we're going to talk about that when you're down here with the Yeti. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're going to start in China with a creature called the Yeren. Mm. Reports of the Yeren started coming out of the Hubei province as early as 340 BCE, and they kept coming until about 900 A.D., uh, these reports describe uh, something that was between six and eight feet tall, covered in shaggy red brown fur, though types of white-furred yarin are reported in higher reaches in China. According to the Chinese historical compendium Yi Zhou Shu, uh, compiled in the fourth and third centuries, it described
2: a creature and it used the symbol for baboon. If you drink the blood of the Fei Fei, the yeren, you will be able to see ghosts. It is so strong that it can shoulder 1,000 caddies, which is about 500 kilograms or 1,100 pounds. Its upper lip always covers its head. Okay. (laughs) Okay, okay. Uh, Its shape is like that of an ape. It uses human speech, but it sounds like a bird. It can foretell life and death. Its blood can dye things dark purple. And its hair can be used to make wigs. Legend has it that its heels face backwards. Hunters say that it has no knees. <laughs> kinda,
1: kinda big footy, you know, yeah. sort of, if we're not trying too hard. I don't really know about the upper lip or the using yeah, its that's, blood to dye things, but
2: I was I was trying to visualize that and just having zero success with it. <laughs>
0: So just imagine that,
1: like Phoenician purple, grinding up the millions and yeah. millions of snail shells, and was it's just millions and millions of yarins. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, yeah, I was also gonna yeah make a uh, connection to the mermex, um, uh, right? Isn't that it? The mermex. Yeah, mermex. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. That die. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, but yeah, instead of um. That beautiful painting of uh, Heracles and his dog, like bringing one of the shells. It's a beautiful painting of, like, I don't know, like a Chinese warlord uh, <laughs> and his dog bringing up the head of a yarn.
0: <laughs> uh.
1: <laughs> um. In the historical text, the area, a creature was described using the, the character orangutan, and it was described as having a large red hairy, or sorry, as being a large red hairy creature which would come down from the mountains to steal people in order to breed with them. As time moved Ooh. on, this creature started just, you know, stealing only women.
0: Because
1: mm-hmm. that's what you do. Uh, yeah, in 1555, a newspaper called Fang Jian* published multiple Yeren sightings and even attacks on chickens in a local village 96 miles from the Hubei region under Mao Zedong multiple government campaigns were launched to find the Yeren to prove that it existed but like that in proving its existence they wanted to prove that it wasn't some like raping mountain demon ghost it was mm. just a weird giant red monkey okay Mao Zedong thought that uh the Yeren was kind of like the way that we see manatees as pa- as um uh mermaids
2: oh okay
1: so like it's a thing but we ascribe more meaning to it than it is gotcha 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 yeah okay um expeditions were then also were also launched in the 1980s to find the Yaren once again but now it was viewed like as a natural as a national treasure the way that panda bears were Mm. like it was a uniquely chinese thing that if they could find one then you know, like, hey, look at this awesome thing that is part of what it means to be Chinese. But also, it acted as, like, the way that we see Sasquatch sometimes, is, like, this wild, wise man protector of the woods. Oh, okay, yeah. That's what Yerins became to China. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, moving south, we get into country. And, man, Josh wouldn't denang whack because there was no rules in Vietnam, buddy. Forgot the fucking Big Lebowski quote, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <you're good. laughs> but there were no rules in Vietnam, Josh. In the 1970s, reports came from American, North Vietnamese Army, and Viet Cong troops that a large thing, upwards of six feet tall, covered in red or brown fur with long gangly limbs, would attack the soldiers at night in troops by throwing large rocks at them and running through, cape, running through camp and attacking them. Both sides reported casualties, and both sides thought the attacks were just like a smokescreen, like a false flag idea from the other side to freak the other side out. They both thought the other one was fucking with the other one.
2: Oh, gotcha. Okay, okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, But the locals in the area called these creatures Batutut, or the forest people. Uh, They normally live in the Vu Quang area, which borders Vietnam and Thailand. And we actually talked about them at length already when we talked about our Minnesota Iceman. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. That body was allegedly one of these uh, rock apes that was shot, killed, and shipped back to America. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, in La- in mm-hmm. in Malaysia, a strong-limbed creature covered in black fur called the fangmen will come down from the forests to raid villages. One raid took place in 1954 in the Perak area, and a young girl named Wang Mi Yoy was grabbed by a fangmen because she was wearing a yellow dress. The creature t- tried to run off with her into the mountains, but she managed to escape. Hmm. Multiple sightings of these Fang men have been reported along the Trolak River by local army, who will frequently try and shoot and kill them. And apparently they've wounded a couple, but never, you know, actually confirmed a kill. There's oh, got one, okay. Malaysia also has a 10-foot-tall creature called an Orang Mawas. And these are large, muscly man monkeys that are covered in what, Josh? Black to red fur. Oh, yep. Yep, yep, yep. They smell terrible, and they come out of the mountains to pillage fish traps and orchards in the Johar region. <laughs> <laughs> um, sightings have always been frequent, but they really, really spiked in 1995, and they kept spiking until they came to a fever pitch in 2005, and ni- in 2006 when multiple footprint casts were taken of large human-like footprints, and it was enough for the Malaysian government to go, okay, fine, and you know what it was time to do, good buddy? What's that? Roundup posse? Roundup a
0: posse!
1: Uh, Multiple posses were rounded up. Dozens of teams were sent to Johor and the surrounding area to find an Orang Mawas. And guess what, Josh? They found one.
2: Oh, no way. Really?
1: In 2006, a team reported capturing a live Orang Mawas in an orangutan trap. Remember, this area still has, like, orangutans naturally. Mm Mm-hmm. So, it wasn't an orangutan. It was something different, but the creature escaped. Uh, multiple photos were taken, and they're being treated as state secrets at the time. And here's where I can't discredit them, because, like, I can't imagine the impact on the world that it would have if you came out and said, Hey, we caught this thing. It's here now. Like, every single posse will now be rounded up, and that's yeah. too much Foggy Mountain to break down.
2: Right, exactly. Yeah, it's... it. <sighs> yeah, that's... The History Channel would be flooded with even more <laughs> finding finding Bigfoot television shows than it currently has. <laughs> um, Indonesia also has
1: something called the Orang Pendek, and these are Bigfoot creatures, but they're little guys. They stand between four and six feet tall, okay. and six foot is really, really pushing it. Um, they're covered in red fur and they hide in the forest and run in and out of the grass and there are tons of videos of them and I watched a bunch and they're really scary because oh, wow. it's just like hairy little human... It looks like naked kids covered in red hair running through grass and it really makes me uncomfortable. I don't know why, but like...
2: No, that... that, that what's the that uncanny a,
1: valley for realness? Like the you shouldn't be doing this valley.
2: Yeah, that is a perfectly legitimate reaction to have um, seeing those videos.
1: <laughs> yeah, Real fucking weird, but they're just like, oh yeah, there's some O-Ring Pendek out there. What was that sound last night? O-Ring Pendek. Just leave them be. They'll leave you be. They live in the <laughs> forest. Calm down. <laughs> Bigfoot as a giant upright orangutan. Maybe. 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 Just maybe. maybe. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. Just maybe. But there's another candidate that we haven't considered, and Josh, I hope you're ready to get real
2: stupid here. Okay. Let's do it. <laughs>
1: Um, what if instead of an upright orangutan, that Bigfoot wasn't an ape at all, Josh, but actually a giant ground sloth? I mean, that, that is also a distinct possibility, I'm sure. <laughs> Considering what we know about Bigfoot, between 7 to 12 foot tall, shaggy hair ranging from red to black, heavy footprints, horrendous smell, uh, the giant ground sloth is a really solid candidate. Hmm. These creatures were highly successful and varied throughout the Ice Age. We know that they were actively hunted in New Mexico 10,000 years ago by those Clovis people, Um, and fossils and indigenous accounts put them in areas as late as 500 current era. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) They might have also lasted later on than that. It's crazy, dude. Like, these things stuck around. Like, okay, if humans are humans and Gigantopithecus are, you know, the orangutans that are going to become civilization... Right. then ground sloths are like the mammals other hope you right yeah we're not just banking all on humanity to conquer the planet they're like yeah let's see what these big guys do <laughs> yeah. right yeah <laughs> truly um they flourish throughout north and south america but they also for some reason occurred in australia and new zealand we found fossils there too um and while multiple species flourished across America, tonight we're gonna to look at three in particular, starting with Thaslanax. Josh, what's the Greek word for ocean?
2: Uh it's either uh phasala, or uh if it's it's the um uh I think I think that's the Ionian pronunciation. Uh but it also could be Thalata. Maybe that's the Ionian, one's okay. Attic, one's Ionian. Anyway, but anyway, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah,
1: so so yeah, so I'm sure that you can extrapolate. It means an ocean sloth. Jost more particularly a diving sloth. <laughs> <laughs> These big motherfuckers stood about eight feet tall, and they took their diet mostly by diving out in the ocean and grazing on seagrasses.
2: That's amazing. Oh, that's so stinking cool. Like again, it's like now I'm thinking about a, a Giant Ocean Sloth water polo team. <laughs> <laughs> I had no
1: idea these things were a thing until I started researching and I was like, "Wait, they just dive and okay, that's great. That's, that's cool. That's so super um, cool." They flourish through the Pacific Northwest, down the coast through California and then all the way down the South American coast.
2: Oh man.
1: <laughs> they that's were queasy. they are what you would call highly successful um, they would grow as large as eight feet tall, and being aquatic, they were also super big bone to help them weigh the, to help weigh them down. They mm-hmm. had longer forelimbs and they had hind limbs, which is you know key to sloth. But we also know, given fossil or fossil prints, that they could walk on two legs or four legs regularly. They can do whatever they want. They can you know whatever they're feeling that day.
2: That's so stinking cool! Oh my god.
1: They were thought to go extinct about 2,000 years ago due to global warming and sea grass die-off. Okay. Um, But in North America, at least, per BigfootSightingsMap.com, in the Bainbridge Island area, there's a lot of little blips of something big and hairy coming out of the ocean. Oh, wow. Where people just reported this. Now, this might be, you know, an extant diving sloth, or it could just be a moose, because moose also like to dive. Yeah, true, true. Uh, in South America, a newer variant of this diving sloth appeared along the coast called Neomylodon. During Darwin's expeditions aboard the Beagle, when he landed in Buenos Aires, he encountered stories of an odd creature that would sometimes be seen jumping into rivers and the water off of coasts. It was said to be about five feet tall and covered in shaggy, dark red fur, but it had large, clawed hands and a terrible stink. They were also said to be almost impossible to kill because pikes and firearms could not penetrate their skin. In 1852 in the nearby town of Porto Natalis A creature was shot and killed in a cave This thing was skinned and that skin Was brought to a Swedish explorer Named Dr. Otto Nils Norden Dr. Otto Nils Nordenskjold We still have that skin today Josh No way Yes sir and it's super cool Because it has these weird bone nodules Growing out of it called osseous cells Oh man, this that's is so... where bones will grow on the surface of the skin. Oh, by the way, neomylodon was famous for growing osseous cells on its skin.
2: <laughs> that's so stinking cool. Oh my <laughs> god, that's awesome.
1: Dr. Otto made a trip back to the area where the first shot or the first sloth was shot and found multiple skeletons and hides that were still very fl- fresh. Now the prevailing idea is that this is you know, The 1800s and global warming does not exist yet. So Mm -hmm. these are all things that died in the Ice Age and were just super well preserved in the, you know, high Buenos Aires mountain region. I mean, that, yeah, that makes sense. You know, lots of dry air and cold air keeps things pretty solid.
2: Well, and that's even, that was one of the things that I mentioned in our deserts episode, too, is like Mm -hmm. deserts being like these little time capsules that, yeah, help preserve... Yeah, things like papyri uh, or fossils or other animal remains. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah.
1: But that was 1852. So, like, global warming might not have existed back then, but it exists today. And we're still finding fresh skins in the area. And people are still seeing weird five-foot-tall hairy things in the area.
2: (laughs) That's so stinking cool. Oh, my God. (laughs) Like, okay, yeah, like a little kind of morbid, but mostly so stinking cool. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah. In the 1540s in Patagonia, there was a creature called the Sioux, and it was reported by a French priest named Andre Theve. And Josh, if you want to throw on your best Andre Theve there and give us the.
2: Because he's French, French priest.
1: Yep. Uh, towards the Patagonias is yeah. the quote.
2: Yep. Towards the Patagonias, a very fierce animal can be found. It is called a Sioux, or according to other Sucarath and it is usually found on the riverbanks. It has a hideous figure. At first sight, it seems to have the face of a lion or even that of a man, because its ears grows a beard with hair that is not too long. Its body narrows towards the rear. Its front end is very large. (laughs) (laughs) Its tail is long and very hairy, or I guess, airy, and with it, It adds its pups that it places on its back. This does not prevent it from running swiftly away. It is carnivorous and is hunted by the local natives, who are interested in its fur because, being of a cold climate, they protect themselves from the weather with it. The usual way of hunting them is to dig a deep hole, which they cover with branches. The unwary beast falls into it with its brood, and seeing no way out, Either out of generosity or anger, tears them apart with its claws, so that they do not fall into the hands of men, roaring at the same time to terrify its hunters, who, coming close to the mouth of the pit, pierce the beast with their arrows. <laughs> I have way too much fun doing a horrible French accent. I love it. I love it. <laughs>
0: Oh man! Oh man!
2: So big toys, and then I will, and then I will eat a piece of it on brioche. (laughs) (laughs) Go away, you
0: silly
1: ground sloth, or I will taunt you a second time. Taunt you a second time.
0: (laughs)
2: Although that's also very sad that it apparently yeah just like kills its own kids. um, Yeah, that's its its own offspring when it's when it's trapped. Yeah, either through generosity, like, look, I'm just going to... Uh, if this is going to happen, then it's going to go on my terms, or, yeah, it just gets so angry. But, yeah, that's pretty sad.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, yeah, but, you know, big takeaway is that the natives hunted them, and they did it yeah. pretty well because, because of the fur. I like that, that, like, yeah. you're actively like, yeah, this thing is great. But have, do you have a sloth hair coat? You don't, because it's great in the winter, man.
2: I, I mean, I would... I would Fortunately, it, it hasn't gotten too rough uh, out here in, in the Midwest, but uh, yeah, I would I would rock a sloth fur coat, for sure.
1: <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, that does sound kind of screwed up, you know, what with the tearing and the rending and the screaming to terrify, but excuse me, Jesus Christ. The sloths struck back, though, according to multiple accounts from Belize and the El Cayo region from 1873 to 1897. Back then, El was a sweeping, grassy plain populated with palm trees and scrub trees. Mm -hmm. In one of these scrub thickets, a French nationalist named Francois Blacano was attacked by the very devil himself when he investigated a single palm tree shaking violently. A creature attacked uh, Blacano and his manservant, Joe... Who was killed when the creature ripped Joe apart with its large claws. Oh, my God. Francois fled, but returned to the area to recover Joe's body and found the creature's giant footprints, which faced backwards, but he saw it led deeper into the forest. That's wild. Oh, my God. <laughs> he straight up murdered a dude. That's... <laughs> <laughs> um, within the He followed the trail into the forest, where he found multiple cave openings with footprints leading in and out of them. He went Mm -hmm. into some of the caves and got lost, but managed to retrace his steps out and got back to Alkaio three days later. Okay. Okay. Upon returning to Alkaio, do you know what he did, buddy?
2: Did he... Did he round up a posse? (laughs) He rounded up a posse.
0: (laughs) He and a
1: dozen men set out for the caves to kill these sons of bitchin' things, which the men had come to call Cave Cows. Don't ask me why. <laughs> <laughs> but upon reaching them, found the entire forest was actually a giant honeycombing system of caves. And going uh-huh. into this labyrinth seemed kind of impossible. So the posse said, okay, never mind, we're good, and returned home.
2: <laughs> I mean, good on them. You know, it's usually the posse gets the bloodlust and they just kind of, they, 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 they overreach they, they commit an act of hubris, but good on this posse for recognizing its limits, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just, in my mind, it's Foggy Mountain Breakdown the entire time that, you know, the, the posse's riding out to go confront these bit, sons of bitches the ground sloth, and, like, then they get to the cave, and it's, like, a light, like... Echoing of Foggy Mountain breakdown through the caves and they're super <laughs> lost and it's kind of starting to slow down and we're starting to miss notes as we're picking them and You yeah. shouldn't have come here, clan. This was a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> in nineteen thirty two, in the swamps around and along the Azul River. Multiple multiple people reported multiple large creatures could be seen running through swamps on two legs like a man or four legs like a giant dog. But oh, all wow. of these were better than 10 feet tall, heavily muscled,
2: and covered in red and black fur. Wow. Okay. Again, the, the, the red and black fur seems to be, like, one of the, like, most important through lines here in, in a lot of these accounts. Mm-hmm.
1: It's it's kind of like the, yeah, it's the through line and the dead, I don't know. It's not the dead giveaway, but it's like everybody gets, it, when you focus on a detail, you know? Yeah,
2: yeah, right. right. Yeah, right, right.
1: Yeah. Um, and I know what you're thinking. I can hear your brain churning. But, Mark, what about the Mapwing
2: Wari? <laughs> yeah, that's a huge c- c- callback. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like very first season of Two Wizards Podcast, talking about... yeah. Teddy Roosevelt cryptid hunter in the Moppingwari.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you may remember Moppingwari from such episodes as Teddy Roosevelt cryptid hunter or our cryptic, Oly- cryptid Olympics episode where he represented my country in the shot put.
2: That's right. That's right.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah, but like you said, Teddy Roosevelt versus cryptids. We talked about him too, and I theorized, or it was theorized that um, Teddy's Lost River Expedition wasn't to try and map some you know weird fucking river in the Amazon, which he right. did end up doing, and it almost killed him. He got pneumonia there, which eventually killed him. Mm-hmm. But it was actually to go there and hunt down one of these Mapengwari. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. And listeners, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to both those, because they were oh. really good episodes and a lot of fun to do. Yeah, a delight. A true delight. The Mapinguari is said to be a hulking 12-foot-tall creature covered in shaggy matted fur, usually in the color red or brown or black. They are said to lurk around the Mato Grosso state of Brazil, and according to
2: maybe the number one Mapinguari expert in the world, Randy Merrill, A prehistoric cryptid that reportedly lived, and is still reported to live, in the Amazon rainforests of South America, particularly in Brazil and Patagonia. It was consistently described as having red hair, long arms, powerful claws that could tear apart palm trees, a sloping back, a crocodile-like hide that arrows and bullets could not penetrate, a second mouth on its belly, and backwards feet said to make a bottle-shaped footprint. This is also like our, this is yet another instance of like feet being backwards or ankles being backwards, like with the, uh, Feifei, um. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. That's also again, man. Like, out of all the weird details to echo in these various stories, red and black fur, backwards feet.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yep. I'm telling you, Mark. It's... Maybe there's something to all this. Maybe there just is. Maybe
1: just maybe. <laughs> um, these creatures have been sighted frequently, um, and they these actually do pose some type of a threat to humans as seeing them can, you know, be scary. But also people talk about seeing one and blacking out being overcome by fear. They Mm. also report the stink as being so bad that it makes them pass out. And some witnesses are rendered mute for life.
2: Right. Yeah, Yeah. and that, of course, is the other one, too, like I was talking about with my skunky beer. Yeah, there's this overpowering, horrible stench, too. Uh, Mm Mm-hmm. Man, okay. Now, Mark, I, I, I have uh, participated in high school sports. I've participated in college sports. And a lot of times, you know, you're in the locker room getting ready or, you know, you're you're in a, in a confined space with a lot of other men on a high-protein diet. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if Sometimes I've ever... Sometimes you're
1: driving in the car back from Endless Shrimp Fest?
2: Yeah, yeah, from... Uh, 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 Red Robin. After uh, <laughs> you, you, you you finish your track meet, you eat at Red Robin, and then you drive back to Alamosa from Albuquerque in a in a Ford van. <laughs> and it's February, so you can't crack the windows open. Um, I don't know if I've ever smelled something so horrible that I've been struck mute. Uh, <laughs> that would be a mighty powerful smell. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Just wait till you and the Mrs. Wizard are here for Five yeah. Alarm Chili Night. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> Have some more beans, Mister Taggart. I think you've had enough. <laughs>
1: <laughs> My name is Mark, and pff, I'm a wizard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: All right, I think we've come across the the Mapinguari Den. <laughs> how how can you tell? Camera pans over, they're all just all sitting around uh, (laughs) a like shrub in the middle.
1: That's the crossover I want to see is Terrence and Philip hunt the mapping Wari and they hunt it by farting on it and overcoming (coughs) it with their stink.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh that's too good. Oh that's too good. (laughs) <laughs>
1: um, so I looked into it. Um, number okay. one, if you talk to our boy HPL, he will tell you that a stink can make you black out. And the truth is really it can't, but there is something that can in the form of chloroform. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Now chloroform isn't naturally occurring except now we're finding that it can be, but it evaporates so fast that it doesn't matter, uh, but it occurs in some, uh, moss, like some moss will naturally outgas chloroform. Now, if you put on our tinfoil hats once again, taking what we know about sloths right now, mold grows on sloth fur. Sloths are dirty, yeah. nasty motherfuckers, right? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. taking that thread, maybe just maybe Mapingwari have some type of, I don't know, like some type of relationship with the one type of moss that can produce chloroform. I don't know, but it's sketchy at best. Mm-hmm. Either way, people that see it either black out from the stink or go mute for life. That's, oh man, you know, for, for life, that's, oh man. There, I, okay, so there was one video that I watched and it talked, it was this old man, it was this old man and his granddaughter was telling the story for him and she was telling the story that I guess he wrote for her somehow and don't think about how the little girl knows it because if the old man is mute, whatever, don't ask, but <laughs> like, he talked about seeing the mapping warrior when he was a kid and he hadn't been able to talk since.
2: Oh my god, wow. Wow. Okay, that's awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, before we get any further, I just wanted to call out. Mm. I got my uh, drive-through red. It is seven point two. Okay. It is so good. I. Oh, nice. Man, these uh Joseph Brow. Good job, guys. Yeah? Good job. Okay. And you still uh, yeah, sticking nice. with
2: Coronas? Uh yeah yeah st- stick with them so far. Um and yeah shoot I don't know maybe maybe when we publish this episode we'll have to uh, at them on Twitter. Yeah. But yeah for me I'm just sticking with Corona. Right on, right on.
1: Um, anyway, so mopping worry to to talk about what they are, we need to look at my second personal lord and savior, Ivan T. Sanderson. Mm, yep. Who really was the first one of the first person? Him and Bernard ha- uh, Wavelman, the like the father of cryptozoology. They both believe really heavily in the idea that like Ice Age megafauna just could still be alive. Like, they're still up here. They're still running around. Um, And Sanderson kind of took this and ran with it. And so he went down to Mato Grosso in Brazil and interviewed a bunch of eyewitnesses. And then he also took tours of um, burrows that ground sloths had dug out. Because ground sloths do dig burrows, Josh. Like, that is what they do. They're like giant prairie dogs. It's kind of crazy to think about a 10-foot-tall thing digging its own house, but they got the great big claws, and they just scrape away their own little homes.
2: But beyond just... Being enormous—that's what they're famous for—is yeah, they're the, the giant burrows and tunnels that they dig, and yeah, I want to even say like even just like later people would set up shop there. They would colonize the giant sloth dens and just like live there because yeah. why not? Because <laughs> we can, yeah, it's because we can. It's crazy. Um, but so
1: doing this research, Sanderson concluded that the mopping wari was a real thing. He also concluded that it wasn't an upright ape, because some people did describe it as being, you know, upright and ape-faced, or crocodile-faced, mm. or scaly, or, you know, they're, it's kind of hard to pin down. But he looked at, um, he thought it might have been a ground sloth, and he looked at one called Megatherium.
2: Oh, yes, yes, this is a name that should be very familiar to regular listeners of the Two Wizards podcast.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. uh megatherium were huge they could get as big as 16 feet tall uh weigh almost a ton and were covered in red to black fur and we know this because we have tons of their pelts um they also had giant hook claws which they used to escape to scrape their burrows um and you can still go and visit them and i think about all the ones up in lko and i just wonder how old that complex was
2: yeah yeah exactly
1: ground sloth civilization Josh like they were making underground cities (laughs) okay Um, not to hang up on a point there Uh, megatherium and other ground sloth fossils were found in Brazil as early as 1789 and they were brought back to King Charles IV of Spain who made the super reasonable demand of a body either living or dead I don't care just go out there and fucking get it now (laughs) I'm King Charles (laughs) yeah that's what you do Uh, But he wasn't the only world leader that was interested in hunting this beast, Josh. Mm. Um, In America, about ten years later, our founding father, Thomas Jefferson, was dispatching Lewis and Clark westward. And while he was instructing them, you know, to go look at the sites, go take pictures, make nice with the locals, he also Mm. said keep your eye out for this big fucking ground sloth type thing. Mm. Thomas Jefferson was 100% sure that there was extant ground sloths running around, and he even discovered one, Josh. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> he discovered the first uh, ground sloth fossils in a cave in West Virginia and named the species Megalonyx, which is Greek for Great Claw.
2: Oh, yeah. Sounds right.
1: Jefferson at first thought that this was a lion, quote, the size of a mastodon.
2: Dang. <laughs> yeah, that would, right?
1: be, that would be a big, a big lion. <laughs> It'd be a real big lion. Um, In truth, it was about the size of an ox, but that's still a really, really big thing. And Jefferson was sure that, like, these things could be running around still. Um, It has now been determined that Jefferson's ground sloth uh, actually ranged all across the United States up into the Yukon. I mean, that's that's pretty impressive. (laughs) Again, highly successful. It's the Society of the Sloth People. Mm-hmm. if you were to lay down this range against a map of bigfoot sightings the two patterns would be almost identical oh wow <laughs> now 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 lay this down with a third map of the you know just the the cave systems that we know about the dot america and once again they're pretty much identical mmm but you don't have to take my word for it, buddy. We're going to cue up that We Fit music, and we're going to talk about some sightings of a popular Bigfoot-like monster known as... Slotfoot! Slot-foot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> In
2: 1970,
1: John Keel, the man who, you know, was made famous by investigating Mothman... He received a letter from a young boy from Sherman,
2: New York, which read, I am writing because about three or four years ago, circa 1965-1966, I saw a white monster in a swamp beside our house. I have been seeing these things ever since then and close to our house. One night it came down in, in our yard. The letter continued with a description of the colossal beast. Quote, it stands between 12 and 18 feet high. It has a long tail between six and eight feet long. It is all covered with hair. They are always white. I have seen them alone or two at a time. It can walk on two feet or four feet. It is almost a double for a prehistoric sloth. My whole family has seen this thing, and I know of two more men who have seen them. I am 15 years old, and I am not kidding. (laughs) I have seen these things, and they are real, end quote. End quote.
1: (laughs) From 2002 to 2011, uh, ground sloths were spotted in the low mountain swamps between Kentucky and Georgia. A Bigfoot hunter blogger named Arc Lane rounded up a one-man posse, actually a one-woman posse, thinking that this was actually a skunk ape from Florida that had pushed too far up north into Georgia. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why not, you know? Like, who's Mm -hmm. to say, you know? Um... This theory was dashed when she saw a huge, four-legged creature loping through a dense swamp. She is adamant that it was not a bear. Mm. Following up on these sightings later, um, she reported speaking with the man, had often seen something with ruddy brown hair walking on two and four legs just through his fields. He had seen the creature before, but didn't really pay it much mind. He thought of it as a bear until she showed him a picture of what of a uh, ground sloth, and then he was like, "Oh shit, no, that's what I've been seeing."
2: Oh, okay. All right. And he
1: just—he didn't really say anything about it. He's just, you know, a good old boy from the backwoods, don't know too much about nothing. And yeah, there's a, there a thing in my field back there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> don't bother the dogs. Don't bother my wife. It's all right. Yep. <laughs> in 1936, the Duff family in Boonville, Illinois, near Cypress Beach, reported seeing a bizarre large hairy creature reportedly coming in and out of the heavy forest next to to the slow-moving river. This creature was bigger than a bear and covered in red and brown fur. But it wasn't shy like all the others. In fact, it it harassed the Duff family for years. It killed several of their dogs, attacked their house multiple times, and after a year, guess what happened, buddy? Uh... Did they round up a posse? (laughs) They rounded up a posse. (laughs) (laughs) This posse went down into the dry riverbed during a time of drought and found a series of interconnecting dugout tunnels in the river walls. As well as multiple dead animals, like pet animals, like the missing dog, and oh, there's my cat, Kitty. Tons. (laughs) Just dead. Dead. Uh, The story got even weirder when a man who heard about the rounding up of the posse said that he and his son had captured the creature two years earlier in Mexico and brought it up here, and it had escaped. And that's what was Mm. going on.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, you know, Mexican ground sloth up in Indiana. Stealing our pets. Eating our dogs. (laughs) Uh, The Micmac people of the Yukon have reported giant squirrels, or something called Se To Chin or the Beaver Eater for generations. And no, Josh, this isn't me any given time during college. <laughs> <laughs> According. <laughs>
2: Sorry, I, don't... I hate to laugh at my own joke, but. No, you know. <laughs> that was. No, you should. You absolutely should.
1: <laughs> According to one account from a native who had witnessed it, Uh, According to Violet Johnny, my husband's sister, who was fishing with her husband and her mother at the head of the Tachun Lake four or five years ago, an animal came out of the woods eight or nine feet high, bigger than a grizzly bear. It had or it was a setochin, and it was coming toward them. They panicked and fired a a few shots over its head and finally managed to get the motor going and took off. So I guess they're in a boat when this happened. Uh, There are other reports, but this. Um, there is also a report of a white man who shot one in a small lake in the area. Beaver eaters are supposed to live in mountains of French East of Frenchman's Lake, according to multiple sightings. Um, these creatures, you know why they're so. You know why they're called beaver eaters because it's not Mark Jones or Josh Streeter on an average Tuesday night, circa 2009 to 16.
2: <laughs> why? Why
1: would that be, Mark? Well, Josh, because they eat beaver. Ah. These creatures sense. are said to flip over dams with their giant claws and eat that sweet tasty story meat inside. Now cutting back to mopping wari being a
2: carnivorous thing, right? Like right. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. and I mean, animals can can reach those types of sizes on an herbivore diet. like I'm thinking of elephants and giraffes and you know mm-hmm. other mm-hmm. other large mammalian, Animals that yeah can reach great heights and uh, large body masses, but having some protein would help. Mhm. Mhm. And because this is the Two Wizards podcast, I would eat beaver.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I wouldn't. I hear it's greasy, but um. Mm. There's that um, chemical castoreum that's in, like, every artificial flavoring, and that's just beaver anal scent gland that they milk. Oh, gotcha. So, you you are. You've been eating beaver for years. Didn't even know it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, (laughs) hamburgers.
0: Let's go. It's all squishy. It's
1: all
2: squishy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Meanwhile, back at the Mapping Wari. One Dr. David C. Oren of Brazil's Natural History Museum in Belém, maintains that the Mapping Wari and another cryptid known as the Deity of Guyana, described by natives for hundreds of years be- and then colonial British as early slash late as the 1500s, as being a six-foot-tall ape covered in red hair that stinks and has backwards-facing feet, well, they're the same creature come to find out. So, bam, Josh, one weird monkey sloth cryptid with one stone. Bam, two wizards. There it is. <laughs> Dr. Oren maintains that both creatures are in fact extant Mylodon sloths. Based upon more than one hundred eyewitness accounts that he has personally collected, which detail a creature around six foot tall with a barrel chest covered in red thick red or sorry, covered in thick red or brown hair. This creature is unharmed by gunfire of twenty two long rifles, two twenty three heavy rifles, and heavy buckshot. Um, this is attributed to the uh, to the growth of the osseous cells on the top of its fur or on the top of its skin as well as the thick coating of hair hmm. these creatures are said to leave tracks which cast or which when cast indicated a 2 and 4 foot walking style um, and they also revealed um the forelimbs were a knuckled hand which sink in, or sorry, were a knuckled hand which would face backwards because it's a giant ground sloth claw. They also stink, Josh. According to mo- multiple Braz- er, tribes in Brazil, they reported encountering and capturing and sometimes killing Mapingwari, But they are said to smell so bad that they need to be released.
0: Hmm.
1: Also turns out that dead bodies smell even worse than alive bodies. <laughs> and I thought they smelled bad on the outside.
2: <laughs> hmm, yeah, I mean that again it, yeah. from from what I understand that all seems perfectly reasonable. <laughs> it all just seems to only make sense, right?
1: According right. to Dr. Richard Fariña, an ornithologist who devoted a bulk of his professional career to studying uh actual ground sloth like He's the like foremost expert on giant ground sloths. I listened to his monster talk about the mapping wari and he was super cool to listen to. Um okay. I also got a lot of this research off his website, and shout out to him. He's a great dude. Um he yes. believes that the mopping wari slash megatherium were actually an apex omnivore. Oh, okay. Well yeah, that would also make sense. Uh they hunted things called glyptodonts. Do you know what a glyptodont is, Josh? Does that ring a bell?
2: Uh, I kind of does but
1: help me out. They were Volkswagen sized armadillos. That's right. Yep. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um they hunted these things by getting underneath them with their giant clawed hands and being buff as shit flipping the glyptodon over and then scooping out its you know soft sweet meats on the inside.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh we have glyptodon shells that are scraped from the inside by giant claws. So hmm. <laughs> fucking something did something to something. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. it's, it's so stupid because he even talks about like, and it's like, oh, that's cool. Do we have any evidence that they predated them? Well, there's shells with scrape marks on the inside. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, fuck me. All right, cool. <laughs> yeah. I,
2: I I I think we also just found the new wizardy way uh, to say where there's smoke, there's fire. We can say where there's scraped uh, glyphodon shells, there's a
1: Megatherium. <laughs> um, further, Megatherium are the only ground sloth that have... or So, their eyes are the most forward-facing of any ground sloth. Mm. And that's where Florinia thinks that these things were predatory because, you know, they have the forward-facing sight yeah, instead of true. the side-to-side sight. But also, this can kind of, like, lend... Credence to it has an apish face with you know the forward-facing eyes like an ape or a human would have. Yeah. And then according to Dr. Carl Schuker, there's one more quote here, Josh, that I want you to do. This is his account, or this was an account sent to him by
2: one Dr. Andrew Johns. In July, 1953, a hunter confronted by an enraged Mapinguari and forced to hide from it inside a fallen hollow tree had apparently succeeded in killing it when, bellowing loudly, it had reared up onto its hind legs, thus exposing its vulnerable navel, at which the hunter had taken aim with his 16-caliber shotgun after loading it with heavy shot that he normally set aside for hunting tapers. The hunter had encountered the Mapinguari deep in the jungle about five hours from his camp along the Rio Aceituba, yeah. uh, in a in a sparsely populated region of northern Brazil's Parastate. After returning to his camp and telling everyone there about his dramatic experience, the hunter and some friends journeyed back to where he had killed the Mapinguari and carried its carcass to the river. There, a passing boat took word of the killing to a local priest who came and not only observed but also took photographs of it. Moreover, one of these photos depicting the beast's head and shoulders supposedly appeared in an issue of Diario de Comercio, a Manaus newspaper. Uh, but what happened to the carcass and the photographs afterwards is apparently unknown. Bum, bum, sloth! <laughs> and if any Brazilian listeners of the Two Wizards podcast uh, some 70 years later, <laughs> maybe this is hanging up in your house. Maybe this is in your um, you know, like bedside drawer. <laughs> if you have this newspaper, uh, please please let us know and then we'll give you credit for it.
1: You know those stories like we found a bunch of old news. You know, like they used newspapers like insulation in the twenties. Yeah, right. And so mm-hmm. people will open up walls and find these, you know, super preserved newspapers. Just mm-hmm. God, there is a wealth of treasure inside our homes, and we don't even know
2: about it. I mean, that's literally that's like in in some cases, literally how we have ancient literature. Is it's like, oh hey, we're we're gonna. Make a binding for some other book. We're we're gonna make a cover for uh, for uh, for for some different book. Let's just like gather up all the like scraps of papyrus or like parchment, and all right, here's this book that nobody really cares about. But like inside the cover, we have our own like kind of paper mache, <sighs> oh, or shit. or yeah yeah or or like um and, and of course I mean this is a little more well known but like um. Yeah, when you make this parchment, which is like treated animal skin, that's what you write on. And then you... It's like, okay, well, I have this book, but I need to write another one, and nobody cares about this anymore, so I'm going to, like, scrape off the ink and then write on top of it. That's when you get a palimpsest. Um, and then now we have technology that makes it easier to, like, kind of find those trace bits of ink. Oh, shit. So, yeah, you know, maybe somebody was wallpapering their house, or... Wrapping a Christmas gift in newspaper. Because that's a yeah. thing. and yeah. yeah. I'm getting horned up for Guari newspapers. God damn it. <laughs> 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 I want it. I, wa- I want to see
1: that photo. I do too. I, <sighs> Okay, so like, also 90% of the time, when I hear there's a priest involved, I'm like, well, what's he molesting? But then the other 1% <laughs> of the time, I'm like, well, why is he here? But in this case, I don't know what it is, but like... Something about 1950s South America just makes it so much more credible and, like, the priest actually came out to see this thing and, like, take yeah. an account, like, to actually make an accounting of it and that makes it so much more
2: real to me. Does that make sense? It makes 100% sense. Yeah. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah. especially if it's something unusual, kind of scary, whatever. Well, yeah, go get the priest. <laughs> and, and the fact that instead of just, like, sprinkling holy water on it, and uh, saying some uh, Hail Marys, he says, let me get my camera. That's all okay. Like, pour one out to you, sir. Cheers <laughs> cheers to you, Brazilian priest. Cheers to you, unknown Brazilian priest. Yeah. That's the only thing that I'm um, drinking in your honor of. If you did any other shady stuff, I, I disavow. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, you know, 1950s, it was probably a rat line for the Nazis, the, the, but hey, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> Boys yeah, from probably. Brazil, mopping worries from Brazil. There's one more weird tenuous link between all this shit, Josh, between ground okay. slots, between Gigantopithecus, between the thing that might be Bigfoot. Okay. And it's the Chinese. Oh, true. I mean, because we started off in South Asia. Yeah. yeah Southeast yeah. Asia. Well, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. According to alternative historian Gavin Menzies, 2002 book 1421 the year china discovered the world nice. admiral zhang he and his fleet commanded by zhao wen zhao man yang king and hong bao discovered in short order the northeast passage all of the americas australia new zealand and antarctica reached the north and south pole and were the first to circumnavigate the entire planet that's that's pretty awesome yeah, you know, he has been widely discredited, but I don't know. Maybe I like to believe, maybe I like to believe that there's an alternate history. And sure, why couldn't China go? China being a seafaring nation, what with having, you know, an entire city state that was compounded upon piracy and like a floating armada, why couldn't it come to America? Um, sure. But also, in so coming to America and South America, why couldn't they hit Patagonia? And you know it was in Patagonia in the 1400s, good buddy? That's right. Giant ground sloths. Giant ground sloths. Yeah. Now, this big old fleet of theirs found these specimens and grounded them up by the dozens, and they sent them back to China. However, multiple fleets were blown off course by storms, and they wrecked all over the world, including... Back up in America's Pacific Northwest, and in India, I guess, and in Malaysia, and oh my god, in New Zealand and Australia, and remember when I said there are ground sloth fossils in New Zealand and Australia, and nobody really understands why? Yeah. That,
0: That could very well be.
2: That could very well be.
1: Sightings of extant giant ground sloths have been reported in New Zealand's South Island as early as 1831 by the Sydney Packet Newspaper. They were reported to originate around the site of a Chinese wreck that they thought was from the 1600s. However, other sources say that it was an English ship called the Endeavor that crashed there in 1795, but it doesn't matter because they still see giant ground sloths Unless I gloss over anything, you know, the Australians still have the bunyip, which is their Bigfoot, but I'm yeah. not counting as a Bigfoot for our purposes, but giant mm-hmm. ground sloths around the world and or, you know, gigantopithecus blackie babies. Well, Josh, what are we going to do? How do you feel, okay. buddy? This is, this is, that's it. That was the first track on the path of Bigfoot.
2: This is just the tip of the iceberg, dude. Th- this is just the tippity tip. How do you feel? So now I mean one, I'm super jazzed, and I'm excited to like burrow deeper with my giant ground sloth claws and just keep keep digging that keep, keep tunnelling deeper. but I'm also thinking of because it's been a, a minute since we've done one of these, okay, Netflix pitch, okay um, Jurassic Park, but with Chinese sailors and Ground slots <laughs> i'll be 100 <100% laughs> percent honest i couldn't run
1: down the gavin menzies book so i like read a bunch of summaries on it and then like cryptozoology websites like debunking it and saying what a piece of shit he was but like i got the general idea i got the gist of the idea you know listeners yeah, if you want to send me when the chinese conquered the world please do so but right but it is but it's if slightly... you have that as insulation
2: in your wall But it is like, oh here we are, we're 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 discovering the globe and sailing around and uh transporting this new gift for the emperor that we found. Whoops, we've shipwrecked on this strange continent that is Australia, and we accidentally uh uh transplanted <laughs> this giant <laughs> Giant
1: extant ground sloths that somehow survived the Ice <laughs> yeah. Age. Well so but you know too, like, you know, there's the big problem with like this, uh this whole theory of like holdover creatures. We saw it with the pterosaur attacks. Um the 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 fossil record stops at a given point, right? Like pterosaurs right. stopped existing at sixty five million years ago at the KT mm-hmm. event. But like we're still finding pretty fresh um ground sloth and gigantopithecus fossils. And like, yeah, it's not we're not dating him to, like, you know, the 1600s, but we're dating him into the early, like, zeros. Right. And, like, just the thought that the Roman Empire might have existed at the same time as Moppingwari Wari, like, hurts my head a little bit. Not Moppingwari, Wari, it's Gigantopithecus. It hurts my head a
2: little bit. Yeah, r- right, yeah, that that too, that too, right? Like, I... <sighs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I just, it, it. it's something... That we said at the beginning of this episode, these things, whatever they happen to be, whatever things, whatever plural things they, they happen to be, are just tracking parallel with us. And they, they just walk alongside us, dude. They walked along They do. to America. I am
1: so, I am, I am literally convinced. Like, I've always kind of thought that, like, in the back of my mind, like, Bigfoot was just, you know, an extant gigantopithecus blackie that just, they came over at the same time. Like, the same species. Maybe they changed a little bit. Maybe they didn't. Maybe it was better to be upright and long-legged than, you know, on four legs with short arms, like, or with long arms, like orangutans are now. But, like.
2: Right. Yeah. I don't know, Josh. Like, I, I just don't know, buddy. I'm getting no, dumb, no, is the point. <laughs> no, no, you're. it's, it's, it's but 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 you're right the, the the fact that right in in all these areas and we have these stories and some evidence cuz we legitimately have you were talking about like the like the pelts the skins from some of these creatures you know mm-hmm. we 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 actually have that so it's maybe a little it, it takes maybe a little stretch of the imagination but nothing like st- crazy outlandish. I mean, kind of, but well, okay. So on a scale the, of the leaf to yeah. journey
1: to planet Serpo to the Yula Yeah. What do you put Bigfoot at? Cause like you're talking about that scale, like,
2: yeah. yeah. And I'm not trying I, to
1: influence you one way or the other, but I'm like, as I did this, I'm like, Bigfoot isn't real. What we think Bigfoot is, isn't it's a, it's an idea. It's a conglomerate, but right. Yeah. But yeah.
2: I'm, I'm sitting at a, I'm sitting at a solid like five point seven five. Okay. You know? There's. Is you're it,
1: you're at tofu boy is where you're at. Yeah. 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 Right. So right. A solid yeah, tofu I'm, boy
2: in reality. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's it's not Okay, So it's it's maybe not like Harry and the Hendersons. You know. Right. But it's. But there's definitely something. There's definitely some giant mammalian thing that has red and black fur and has feet that look like they're pointed backwards and smells horrible that all of these different accounts are are kind of tracing or or outlining pointing at so yeah that's yeah. why not that's where i am that's where i am
1: I, yeah, I it's hazy. Anyway, Josh, thank you for putting up with me. Listeners, thank you oh. for putting up with me. Um, no, no, no.
2: This was, this was a treat, Mark. This was a treat. You, and you. and like you mentioned, just, just one of several because we are opening that Bigfoot advent calendar one week at a time.
1: <laughs> one giant size 18 foot print at a time, yeah.
2: Yeah, we were right. And so we have we have lots more in store. And I know I mentioned, you know, when you asked me what I thought about Bigfoot, right. I I was saying like to me it's an America's thing, but really in in order to lay the groundwork we are we're globe-trotting and we're going to keep doing that. We're going to keep talking about other types of whatever this thing is uh in the new world, in the old world, in the far east, in the swamp. <laughs> Uh and so listeners, we want you to tag along with us. We we want you to be those uh uh other expeditioners um just hanging out at base camp and then here come Mark and Josh running out of the woods saying, like, you'll never believe what I just shot in the stomach because it reared up and bellowed at me. Uh <laughs> We want you to join us along with there. So so we're just getting started. Uh so so please keep in touch with us. Uh drop us a line whatever you feel like doing but you can send an email to twowizardspodcast at gmail.com you can find us on twitter at c one we're also on facebook and instagram we're active there mark's been doing a great job putting up uh, some, some, some extra little tidbits some little, some little titillating photos and illustrations and things for, for all of our episodes so definitely go check those out as well um, you can find me on twitter uh, i'm there at plaid plaidbarbarian doing my thing Mark, you're also doing your own thing, or your own lots of things, so what else do you want to tell our listeners about? Uh, if you didn't get enough
1: about me freaking out about Extant Ice Age megafauna tonight, well, you can check me out freaking out about Extant Ice Age megafauna on the Dangle Podcast, where me and my buddy Johnny take two episodes of that fossil, King of the Hill, and we talk about it and see if it still holds up. We are in season 13 firmly, Josh, and rocketing towards the end, but... Man, there are some nuggets of good in here. There are some gigantopithecus teeth of awesome among a slurry of crappy bones you can also find me at the i can't wait to show my kids podcast a weekly cinematic review podcast where me and our buddy brad come together and watch movies that were influential that were super important that were impactful that we just generally liked to the other one who hasn't seen them go check us out over there we're doing a a holiday movie type season deal we watched some planes trains automobiles got mad at john hughes um, we watched some Krampus and got super horned up for uh, Adam Scott. Uh, you can find me at Marky Stardust or Or. you can find this show, the Two Wizards podcast and those other shows, the Dangle podcast and the I Can't Wait to Show My Kids podcast on the uh, Blue Sky app at High Hammock Radio. Um, you can find all things related to us at High Hammock Radio. Wherever High Hammock Radio is found, you will find this face lurking in and out of the frame
2: and hiding behind a rock. <laughs> well that that all sounds wonderful Mark. And and yes, definitely timely things and you you alluded to this earlier on that I may be finding my way to 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 your Wizard's Tower before too long, yes. and maybe maybe do some other maybe you know maybe have a special episode where uh, a, a special Two Wizards podcast episode where we're once again in the same room. I've that that could even be potentially my uh, uh, third appearance. For I can't wait to show my kids. Yep. You know, maybe yeah, yeah. maybe that that would be awesome. Our first time doing like a, a three person sort of crossover event, or at least my first time doing a three person crossover event. They're in Look, live. Man, you get the here in thing. time.
1: You can you can show up on Dangle Podcast.
2: You show up. Here, you even- show up in the thing hole at six a.m.
1: You can be on that show, buddy.
2: <laughs> we can do we can do that too. So all that is to say, we have we have a, a wonderful, nice little ass- assortment of treats to end this year. And, or maybe even get us in, into the start of the next year, depending on how our scheduling works out. But but it's wonderful to have you joining us. And yes, just, just sit tight, uh, st- st- stay in touch, because we have many more wonderful uh, bigfooty things going on. And you won't pass out because they smell horrible. Um, <laughs> or render you mute because they smell horrible. Uh, but at any rate, thank you once again. Uh, my name is Josh, and I am a wizard. And my name is Mark, and
1: I'm a wizard. Thank you for being here. We love you all, everyone. Take care.
2: Woohoo!
0: He rolled upon his back, and after that, I killed them all! Ah! Ah!